You're listening to Soho Radio Culture. SohoRadioLondon.com Welcome to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. It's Black History Month and we've got a Black History Month special for you. My name is Selena Godden. I'm Emma Rose. And I'm Matt Abbott. And we're in the studio with the great Musa Hokwanda. <laughs> oh, look, can I just say, that theme tune is incredible. <laughs> I need that, I need that. Yeah, it was made by uh, Richard Cripps, my partner made it for us, especially Legend. for the shout show. Yeah, incredible. shout out to Dickie for tuning in. So this is Roaring Twenties Radio. We've got a Black History Month special. And to start our show, what are we opening with? We're opening with some Ma Rainey, so remember why we're all here. Runaway Blues. Nice choice. I run away tomorrow. They don't mean me no good. I'm gonna run away, have to leave this neighborhood. Oh, some gonna die, some in my backyard. Oh, some gonna die, some in my backyard. Night. 
So that was Ma Rainey here on Roaring Twenties Radio. Ah, Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. It's so good to be back here. It's October, it's Black History Month, and we're joined by Musa. Musa is a writer, broadcaster and musician and a living legend. <laughs> He's the co-host of the Stadio Football Podcast. He's published a collection of poetry and three books about football, the first of which, A Cultured Left Foot, was nominated for the 2008 William Hill Sports Book of the Year Award. He has three books out this year. The first one, In the End, It Was All About Love, is published by Rough Trade, a memoir set in Berlin. Then one of them, which was published by Unbound, which is a memoir about his five years at Eton College, which is brilliant as well. And lastly, Striking Out, which was published by Scholastic, and that's a children's novel written in collaboration with and based on the life of the great Ian Wright. Moose's work has appeared in various outlets, including Africa is a country the byline times the guardian the new york times economist and the ringer he lives in berlin and he's a fellow um uh, co-author of the good immigrant too yeah the good immigrant wow shout out to nikesh shukla the editor yeah. yes yeah so you had an amazing night last night at the south bank with nikesh can you yeah. tell us all about that oh wow yeah so um in your elms uh shout out to him amazing writer had the idea of putting together this like sort of this group panel discussion so we've got a whatsapp group the five of us me in your Elams, Vene um, Patel, Nish Kumar, and Nikesh Shukla, called the Council of Good Friends. It's a WhatsApp group that we set up at the start of the pandemic. And the idea was to have a kind of Sunday night film club that came out of the WhatsApp group. And just basically every Sunday, we'd watch the same movie, which we'd probably seen before, a Marvel movie or a new one, and um, then just discuss it. And then discuss life, relationships, dating, all the rest of it. And so after like doing that, that, that film club, Inyo was like, why don't we just turn this into like a live show? Let's have an evening and just talk. And to be honest, you never know how these things are going to go because we'd never been on stage together. But within like 30 seconds, we get on stage and Nish, being a genius, cracks an incredible joke. <laughs> Everyone's in hysterics. And then like <laughs> just an, an amazing hour, really lovely hour of just conversation about love, life and everything else. I'm sorry that I missed it. Yeah, I'm really sorry I missed it. It sounded amazing. Oh, and not have a mate. It's a shame. It's only a fiver as well. I mean, it was great. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Great crowd. Great crowd. There's some really good things happening at South Bank at the moment. I feel like they've got, it's turned itself around a little bit. Well, the funny thing with South Bank is it's like, it's one of those things you always dream of doing. It's like Disney or whatever. You dream of like going there and suddenly you're there. You're like one of the performers. You're one of the artists. And it's the real, having seen it for years, there was a sign when I was walking along and it said, um, you know, in the way to South Bank, it says, welcome back to the South Bank. And I was like, wow, like, the last time I was here, I was not doing anything here. And now I'm booked. I'm doing, like, three events there in, like, what, a couple of days. That's exciting. Yeah. That's exciting. Um, tell us about other shows you've got coming on, coming up. Sorry. Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. So I've got one. Um, I've got a show on Sunday afternoon uh, discussing friendship uh, at the South Bank. And then on the Monday night, which is really exciting, we're having a, we didn't have a book launch for in the end, it was all about love because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So on Monday night at the social, just around the corner from here, Little Portland Street, I think it is, 7pm, yeah. uh, it's going to be me basically curating an evening to celebrate the launch of In the End, it was all about love. Shout out to Rough Trade Books, who put it out, the amazing Nina Hervey and Will Burns. Yay, shout yeah. out to Nina. Amazing. Um, and uh, so it's me basically curating the night and performing. It's uh, four brow guys who write, also performing. Brilliant. Inia will be reading, Nick Cash, and also be in conversation with the great Ian Wright. Oh, that's going to be such an amazing night. I can't it's wait. Be brilliant. I'll can't. be there. I'll be there. I might get a hotel room in town just because I think I'll be absolutely <laughs> knackered up. You know, like, you don't want to get an Uber back at 3am and kill your buzz. <laughs> no. I might just get a hotel room and just crash out. Yeah, yeah, good idea. Okay, so now it's time to find out what's been going on in the world of poetry. And over to you, Matt Abbott. 
Cool. So as usual, I've got a roundup of events that are coming up soon and a roundup of the best releases and also the best content you can access online. So starting off with events, this Tuesday, uh, one, from 1 till 2pm, there's an event called Black Lesbian Poetry. This is at the London Metropolitan University and it is Andrina Leanne. Uh, she's doing a reading and also a Q&A afterwards. Uh, that's her new collection, uh, Black Lesbian Poetry. That's on Tuesday. On Tuesday night, also in London, there's a night called Resistance, which is at the House of St. Barnabas. So this is a night uh, uh, with Caribbean vibes, poetry, conversation and cocktails. It's free. You've got a book via Eventbrite. Performers include Fred Degas. Um, it's called Resistance and it's at the House of St. Barnabas. So that's this Tuesday night and it's free. On Thursday night, Inuit Ellums, we've just mentioned, he's hosting a rap party special at the London Library. Woo-hoo. Tickets are a tenner. You might have to join a waiting list. If you head to londonlibrary.co.uk, have a butcher's, um, it's a tenner. If you can get in, I, can, I strongly recommend it. It's a rap party um, Black History Month special. On Saturday, two events. Now, these aren't in London. I'm trying to spread my promotion a little bit uh, in Sheffield at 11am as part of Off the Shelf Festival there's an event called Poets Respond to Jean Binterbreeze so loads of poets uh, at all stages of a career all writing uh, original uh, sorry performing original work that they that responds to the work of Jean Binterbreeze who we lost earlier this year as you know and then on Saturday night in Bristol if, you, if you're down that way Raymond Antrobus is the headliner at Raise the Bar so that's at St George's in Bristol it's £10.50 Worth every penny, that's in Bristol. On the 11th of November, my record label, Nymphs and Thugs, were hosting a night in Manchester called Livewire. Uh, we tour Livewire around the country. This is the 11th of November. Ella Ottomore is performing, and it's 14 quid or 12 quid concession. And then the last one I want to mention, the 15th of November in Norwich, at the National, uh, National Centre for Writing. This is a Bad Betty night. So Bad Betty, one of the best independent poetry publishers out there at the moment. It's a free event, and Boyega Odobanjo is headlining so that will be a wonderful night deep breath okay (laughs) i'll try and slow down a bit sorry i get so excited and i've just had a coffee don't keep going survive it survive it survive so releases um abdullah adekola has just uh, published a book called nigrescence on burning eye books that came out in september nigrescence is the breakthrough debut collection of poems by northern poet abdullah adekola the word nigrescence means to develop a racial identity which adekola unpicks through language that tugs and pulls through his own blackness searching for ways to heal in an increasingly fractured world abdullah is from leeds i love his work so please check that out that's with burning eye books also on burning eye books um, is munira pilgrim um, her book is called that day she'll proclaim her chronicles that is being published on the 11th of november for centuries poetry has been a form of knowledge and a way of knowing for non-centered people in this collection munira recenters her voice and the voices of other people that are often relegated to the sidelines or misrepresented in mainstream thought This collection explores belonging, spirituality, gender, race and identity, as well as themes of girlhood, pop culture, familial bonds and crushes. Despite that, this this collection is a story of love and a labour of love. Okay, so next, um, Sophia Fakur has written uh, a comic book, actually. Sophia's a poet, so that qualifies in this section. It's called Superheroes. It's um, a poetry book, uh, sorry, a comic book uh, for young people, uh, a graphic novel. Uh, It discovers the daring tales of inspiration from over 50 iconic British icons today who have harnessed their curiosity and ambition and turned it into their own superhero power. Uh, it's got an intro by Stormzy. Uh, it's, it's, been, it's been published by Cornerstone, Sophia Fakir, Superheroes. Give it a search. Okay, next, um, Jennifer Rahim. It's a book called Sanctuaries of Invention and it's being published by PayPal Press. It came out on Thursday. Um, it's Jennifer's sixth collection of poems. It explores the power and imagination 
uh, sorry, the power of the imagination to confront the restrictions of the year of a pandemic through reflections on history and the capacity of language to give immediacy and presence to absent place. So that's on People Tree Press, and I just want to give a quick shout out to People Tree. Um, they've been running for about 40 years. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you all know People Tree, but I just want to shout out anyway because now I live in Leeds. Um, they're based in Leeds, but they're the world's leading publisher of Caribbean and black British writers. Um, they publish about 20 books a year. They're an amazing organisation. So that's coming out. Uh, it's just come out on People Tree Press. And then the last book, uh, she doesn't really need much of a shout out, but uh, it's, I, I want to shout about it anyway. Amanda Gorman, um, Call Us What We Carry, is being published. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know. Yeah. Help her along, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just thought it was. Okay, scrap that one. She's no, got a book coming out. No, I'm teasing you. I just, you. I, just, I, just <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's, it's a good. Like, it's an exciting She's book. amazing. Yeah. She's amazing. It's coming out on Vintage Publishing on the 7th of December, so you can get it in time for Christmas. It's. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a wonderful collection called Call Us What We Carry. Okay, content. Five bits of content. So Black History Month, uh, the, the official website, they've got a section called Poets Corner. Tons of videos, audio recordings, written pieces, interviews, all sorts of stuff. So if you just head to uh, blackhistorymonth.org.uk, there's a section of a site called Poets Corner, which is brilliant. It's a great resource for inspiration, education, escapism, all sorts. Um, I'm sure you've seen, but Poems on the Underground, they have produced a special selection of poems by black writers with close links to England, Scotland, North America, the Caribbean and Africa. You can view them in a digital pamphlet at poemsontheunderground.org. Apples and Snakes, the podcast, episode nine came out on Monday. You can get it wherever you usually listen to podcasts. Uh, this one is called The Importance of Owning and Telling Our Stories. And this is part one, The Great Unlearning. It features Kat Francois and Reese Williams. It's hosted by Yomi Sode. And the podcast series in general explores what it means to be a black British poet in 2021. Uh, in The Guardian on Tuesday, there was a piece called My Favourite Overlooked Black Writer. So this includes interviews with Mallory Blackman, Bernadine Evaristo and more, and does exactly what it says on the tin. It's about a lot of black writers throughout history that have been overlooked. Um, that's on The Guardian website. And then finally, uh, there's a gig online that you can watch back. It was Poetry Africa 2021. Uh, the video is just called Poetry and UK Black History Month. Uh, it features Rachel Long, Roger Robinson, Nick McCower and Adrian B. Earl. It's a wonderful gig, about an hour and a quarter long. Um, so you should definitely check that out. So that is my Black History Month roundup from the world of poetry and spoken word. All right, wonderful. And after we come back after this track, we're going to hear some great recordings that Matt has collected for us over the last month. But first, this is William on on Bore with Good Name. I love him. Thank you. 
20s Radio and Soho Radio. Um, you're listening to us on Saturday afternoon and now we're going to have these tracks that Matt has um, gathered for us over the last month from the world of poetry and spoken word. Yeah, so this is uh, this first one is a poet that needs no introduction, I'm sure, but just a really important voice that I wanted to share. Possibly one of the best poets in the world right now. I don't say that lightly. Uh, this is Dana Smith uh, with a, a performance of Waiting on You to Die So I Can Be Myself, which was recorded live in Minneapolis earlier this year. Waiting on you to die so I can be myself. A thousand years of daughters, then me. What else could I have learned to be? Girl after girl after giving herself to herself. One long ring shout name, a monarchy of copper and cold shoulders. The body too is a garment. I learned this best from the snake undulating out of her pork rind dress. I crawl out of myself into myself, take refuge where I flee. Once I snatched out my heart like a track and found not a heart, but two girls forever playing slide on the porch in my chest. Who knows how they keep time? They could be a single girl doubled, enjoying that the hands, um, I'm stalling. I want to say something without saying it, but there's no time. I'm waiting for a few folks I love dearly to die so I can be myself. Please, don't make me say who. Bitch. The garments I'd buy if my baby wasn't alive. If they woke up at their wake, they might not recognize that woman 
in the front, making all that noise. That was the incredible uh, Donna Smith. Um, the next one I'm going to pick might seem like a bit of a, another bit of an obvious choice. This is Lauren Hill. Basically, I started a residency, a weekly residency at a secondary school in Chapel Town in Leeds last month. And my first session with the pupils, I said, can you tell me who your favourite poets are? And they all said Lauren Hill. We're obsessed with Lauren Hill. She's the greatest poet. She's the greatest lyricist. And I, they begged me to play a Lauren Hill poem on this show. So I've picked this. This is called Motives and Thoughts. And it was performed live at Def Jam Poetry in 2006. This is the incredible Lauren Hill. Motives and thoughts. Rotating bodies, confusion of sound, negative imagery holding us down, social delusion, clearly constructed, human condition, morals corrupted, trapped in reaction, lawlessness, war, dissatisfaction from bowels to core, devil's technology, strategy for, human mythologies, urban folklore, sicker psychology, counterfeit cure, wicked theology robbing the poor. Scheme demonology mislead the pure, stricter strategically study in war. Light shone in darkness, image exposed. Few can see through the new emperor's clothes. Lustful this hustle turns humans to hoes. When the blind lead the blind, just more trouble and woes. It's the mind that they chose, it's designed to stay closed. Standards of jokers, court jester logic, cyclic and cosmic from schoolyard to college. Primitive man in his civilized knowledge. System collapse and he still won't acknowledge. God is the savior. Studies behavior. Trying to fix the mixed mind that he gave you. Stiff-necked scholars on prescription meds. Wishing their problems was all in their heads. Moral dilemma. Pride at the root. Misguided from youth. Heart divided from truth. Egyptians and Grecians, spiritually dead, empirically led by the good gods in their heads. Motives and thoughts, industrial wealth, global economy in it for self. Heart full of madness, covered with kind, pleasure designed to take over your mind. Furnished in godliness, painted in good, this tainted priesthood's got real saints misunderstood. While classes and government set up the veil and cultivate minds for more mythical tales. Typical Hollywood, follies, good girl, while vice and corruption take over the world. Motives and thoughts. Check your motives and thoughts. Blind with the wickedness, deep in your heart. Modern day wickedness is all you've been taught. Lie to your neighbors so you get ahead. Modern day trickery is all you've been fed. Motives and thoughts. Check your motives and thoughts. Thank you. Hey, you 
Resurrection deities, we are gods, guarding the earth, oceans and ocean, fertile bodies of water, love and divinity, we are Shango, prosperity of Oyo, Ife, we are empires, Mali and Ghana, symbolised in Adinkra, black supremacy, we are children of legacy, from those who gave gold to the poor and traded salt from the seas that we earned in the cities we built, black is the keeper of knowledge. We curated man's library and inside of sanctified walls built without machines, we taught medicine and astronomy, chemistry and geography. We could never be uneducated. We are education. Timbuktu is you. The crown belongs to you. Fear is for the inferior. Our ancestors were superior. Melanated sons of the sun, we are supreme. Amun, Olorun, ruler of the heavens, the blueprint of life who cast humans from light and stars, spines of diamonds and tanzanite, skin of clay. He climbed down from the heavens and gave birth to the earth. The OGs of existence, walking in the footsteps of resistance all the way to Yorkshire, where our great-great-great-granny wore bangles of jet and ivory. Decorated in silver, she died in York and was laid to rest with a mirror for us to look in and remember who we are. Children of constellations, citizens of the world, descendants of Africa. And as the dead, 
do not bury themselves. The respect for black bodies was apparent. The new white world should put some respect on our names, black names, on our skin, black skin, on our lives, black lives. Just as their ancestor, Queen Victoria, did when burying Ethiopian Prince Alameyu in Windsor Castle. And let it be known, there is no castle without king, no king without God, and black is God. So that was Rahima Robinson with Black Is from the Leeds Black History Walk in 2020. And next we're going to have Toby Abiodun, who's one of my favourite poets at the moment. Toby is from Lagos and this is recorded just for us. Hi, my name is Toby Abiodun and this is for Roaring Twenties Radio. Olua Shanumi, dear Lord, have mercy on me. Olua Rontimi, dear Lord, remember me. Olua Gbebemi, Dear Lord, hear my pleas. They say we have names like prayers that go unanswered, that we are pleased to light for lips yet too heavy to ascend, bodies drifting in the distance between life and death, hopes dangling forth and back like the rise and fall of angels. We know nothing but know this much, that lives aren't allowed here. So we learn to bury our breaths underneath our pillows, watch our dreams lay dead in our beds waiting to be resurrected. There are stars restless in our minds because our skies have no room for them. We were misery like a second skin and never dare to peel it off. Everything that leaves our tongues sounds like a curse. When they ask why we wear pessimism like a jailer we tell them nobody lives well with death breathing into their ears. Then they tell us that we are ripe enough for all the world's chaos but are too young for love. That we are stories fit to be told only at night and the morning we lose meaning to our children. When they ask why we wear misery like a second skin, we tell them, nobody lives well with death breathing into their ears. Step into the party show, style of fashion show. Shake your bumper to bumper check. Girl, I wonder how you got your body on check. Looking hell like dangerous show. You are all like the furniture. Baby, come sip on my furniture. Ling in a real life, just like your picture. Are you telling me, baby? Come on, give me the baby. You ready, me ready? You fucking with a man, big boy, celebrate. Can you call me your lele? Oh, yasa. Would you like Ben a chin? Would you like Gaza? When you're stressed, it's a stressing me. Baby, you are bad, why you blessing me? Baby, how you move so amazing, The way you give me, what a pop, look at you. to the party, show. Style of fashion, show. Take your bumper to bumper, chip. Girl, I wonder how you got your body on check. Looking hell like dangerous. You are all like the furniture. Baby, come sip on my furniture. Ling in the real life, just like your picture. Young, you fine. Young, you cool. Young, you cool. Bow, wow. Young, you fine. Young, you cool. Young, you cool. Bow, wow. See the one step, connect. I know what you get, she's not my flesh. Hold down, who? Hold down, where? Follow the leader, come my want to come my house, she want to break my hair, she want to come my spouse, she want to bump my child, baby come over here, put you in Bottega, not supposed direct, baby don't miss your chance, baby just off your pants, big container landing, this kind flavor can't be matched, if your mommy ask, say you're with the Ninja Man, to the party, 
girl, I fashion. Hey girl, bump out to bump out. Girl, I wonder how you got your body on. Looking hell like dangerous. You are all like the furniture. They become sick on my furniture. Laying in the real life just like your picture. Young you fine, young you cool. Young you cool, wow wow. Young you fine, young you cool. Young you cool, wow wow. Knock up, young you fine. Young you fine, wow wow. Knock up, young you fine. Young you cool, wow wow. Darling, bend low, darling, break that back. Moving like you wanna give me a heart attack. Tell me, baby, do you want more? Yeah, I see you like Hennessy. I have energy. If I had smoke, would you hold Betty? Yeah, there's no many like you, honestly. Girl, like you, I want give Tiffany. Fat back, match, big belly, generously. Let's go to the party. Style of fashion. Hey, girl, bump out to bump out. Girl, I wonder how you got your body on. Looking hell like dangerous. You are all like the furniture. Baby, come sip on my furniture. Laying in the real life, just like your picture. Young you fine, young you cool, young you cool, wow wow. Young you fine, young you cool, young you cool, wow wow. Naka, young you fine, young you fine, wow wow. Naka, young you fine, young you cool, wow wow. to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. I'm Emma Rose and I'm here with Selena and Matt and Moose are our guest. Um, but first of all, before we get on to every other wonderful thing that we've got for you in this Black History Month themed show, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about a project I became aware of, I think, last week. Time is moving strangely for me at the moment. Um, which is the Black History Tube Map. Uh, it's a collaboration celebrating 40 years of um, the Black Cultural Archives between them and TFL. I became aware of it because my dad is on it. I didn't know. <laughs> so <laughs> someone just sent me a tweet going, oh, you know, your dad is on the Black History Tube map. And I was like, which station? First thought. <laughs> <laughs> which station is it? It is Thaden Bois. And I was very confused because we are North Londoners. And this is in Essex, but it turns out that the central line is the art line. And so I thought, tell you a little bit about the project. So I think it's really interesting. Number one, because obviously the tube map is such an iconic design. And I actually think this is a really, really good, um, just a really fascinating idea. The map um, features 270 people, venues and organisations. Um, and it's from pre-Tudor times to the present day. So it's just people and places, um, I guess, linked to connected to London. And it's um, 
it's kind of firsts and trailblazers, Georgians, category, sports, arts, LGBTQ plus people, physicians, performers, literary world, community organisers. And this is how they've broken it down. I mean, I guess there's a lot of people that could have been on the map that aren't, but I think it's quite interesting who they've chosen. Um, And because I was thrilled but also surprised that my dad was on there out of a pre-Tudor um, I thought I'd tell you <laughs> like, how, how old well are done. you? <laughs> <laughs> Rose is a vampire helps herself <laughs> I'll tell you a little bit about my dad and why he's on the map um, he's kind of it's at the end of the central line next to Uzo Ugonu, who is a who was a Nigerian painter who's having quite a renaissance at the moment he has an exhibition of his print um, on a, in Lagos at the moment that people are quite excited about. But the reason my dad is next to Uzo is because he ran an arts community centre called the Keskadi. Um, basically, the Keskadi Centre was on Gifford Street, which is near King's Cross, kind of Cali Road, just off the Cali Road. And um, it was a library, printing press. They kind of designed the building around kind of facilitating... Um, people learning about their own culture, you know, people from the diaspora. And also it was a theatre as well and they had plays on and they had gigs and they, you know, they um, they just, it was like, I mean, they, they staged Derek Walcott plays. It was kind of a popular place. It went through like all these places, highs and lows, ups and downs, but it just, it exhibitions, you know, and then he also gave over studio space to people like Uzo, people like um, Jagger Days, another wonderful artist. And, um, and, and I kind of, I don't know, I kind of, I guess around when I was about kind of 10 or something, it closed down, they sold the building, the building actually burnt down. And um, and my dad actually passed away quite a long time ago in 1996. But people have always been really interested in him, in his legacy and in what he did. It's very difficult to kind of, it's kind of an amorphous thing. I didn't even know this was happening. And it's wonderful in a way that he's remembered and the other people on this map are remembered as well. Um, he's credited as being a theatre designer, community activist and community organiser. And I guess that's what he did. He worked with CARD, organized, uh, anti-racist organisation in Islington. And he um, he collaborated with people like... Um, uh, with people like he met Malcolm X um, when he was over briefly and it was just kind of I guess it's all these people were just coming together at that point in time and I want to highlight because he this was always very important to him it was very much a multicultural movement it was people from all kinds of immigrants and British people everybody coming together for equal rights and equal representation I think his kind of credo was very much what was the motto of Cascadia is a community that discovers itself can define its own future, something along the lines of that. And it's just about knowing your history, just quite quite quiet, intellectual, but a very kind of grounding thing, just understanding where you come from understanding what the people where you come from make and do and then you can kind of make your own decisions based on that. Without that people can feel very lost and I feel like that's quite um, that's quite cool to what he was doing. So that's him. And you can go onto the Black Cultural Archives website and pre-order the map and find out about all the other wonderful people. There's John LaRose is on there. he got Finsbury Park. Um, mm. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> now I'm jealous. Yeah. And there's just such... A, there's 200... I mean, it's nearly 300 names, but you can just discover 
all these wonderful people and the um, and the impression that they've left on history near and distant pre-Tudor. And so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, stuck on the pre-Tudor. But another thing that happened at Keskadi, which is perhaps what people know it most for is that Bob Marley spent some time there. The cover of the Legend album was shot there. Amazing. And he made his video, Is This Love, which is anybody, if anybody's seen it, it's loads of kids running around. And that was made at Keskadi. And so um, basically, I'm going to sign off now. Check out the map. It's really interesting. I'm still discovering about it. And um, I'm going to order myself one and put it up in my house. And I'm going to leave you with Is This Love by Bob Marley.
Hello and welcome back. Uh, that was Bob Marley, if you need to know. <laughs> um, the Wailers was, is, is this love? And um, that was me just talking about a little bit about my dad and a little bit about the amazing project, which is the Black History Tube Map. Um, now I'm going to talk to you a little bit about art briefly um, before we move on to the rest of the show. Uh, I wanted to talk about an exhibition that's actually, it's very nearby. It's in Mayfair. Um, obviously we're in Soho. And um, it's an exhibition of art by the artist Noah Davies, who... Um, passed away extremely young and um but he's a black artist from um the united states and he has an there's an exhibition of his work on at david's verna gallery and there's also a kind of exhibition right at the top of the gallery the gallery is on davies street um so if you google it then you'll be able to find it but at the top of the gallery they've also got something about the underground museum um, which is his organisation. He died at 32 and um, I think his estate have set up a kind of prize under um, the guise of the Underground Museum, which was a kind of... Um, they do theoretical and actual shows of work, mostly by uh, black artists. Um, uh, but he he just is a kind of a really wonderful painter. You'll get people kind of... It, see the work that we have of his that you get people kind of walking around a show going oh god this reminds me of Manet this reminds me he's just a wonderful painter I think this is a wonderful opportunity to see his work in the UK because obviously he's not going to make any more work and he's based his estate is based in LA and his work is often shown in the states but it's rare to see his work and this is a great opportunity to go and look at his paintings they're just really beautiful there is something impressionistic about them observations of i guess mostly black life in the states but it's just gorgeous paintings really well painted these kind of quiet thoughtful observations of people um going about their daily lives and um Noah Davies. He's just really well worth discovering and um, the Underground Museum is a very interesting project. Um, so you can go and check that out at David's Well. There's also a hoodie that I'm contemplating with his name on it. And if you buy one, the proceeds go to the Underground Museum. So that's great. And um, another show I wanted to highlight um, and a person, he's very famous actually, um, it's Theaster Gates, who is a wonderful... Um, He's just, he's an artist, but he's kind of slightly transcended that. He's a conceptual artist. He is a religious man. And he has a show on at the Whitechapel called A Clay Sermon. And um, it's just about, he, his work is conceptual, so part of it's collecting. And he's taken items from the Vene. He's taken um, items that he's made and he's put them all together. And he explores race through objects. And so there's a kind of collection of objects from the V&A which depict black people for the good and for the bad of that obviously there's some good and some wonderful and some less kind of pleasing objects within that collection and then around that he makes his conceptual art which in its own right is very beautiful and he has a relationship specifically with clay as a potter um, which is very meaningful to him which is explored in a film which you can also see at the um in the Whitechapel Gallery. And Theastergates, he, um, he's a famous artist. He's based in Chicago and alongside with his artistic practice, and I guess this is an extension of it, he started Stony Island Arts Bank, which is an art institution on the south side of Chicago. And um, they've got lots of people involved in that. 
And then he also does projects renovating parts of the neighbourhood in a specific way. There's one house he's renovated which contains a record collection where people could come and listen to music. And then there's a garden that he's creating on the south side, um, where people, which again, they're all public and they're all community-led, so people can come and help create the garden and people can spend time in the garden. I guess this is a way of improving a neighbourhood, maybe gentrifying a neighbourhood, which could do with a little bit of gentrification and tension um, in a way which doesn't kind of displace or, um, uh, or push out people who are living there who are, and he just this is these are just a couple of the projects he works on he's a really interesting man and a wonderful artist and you can see a clay sermon at the white chapel and then he also has another exhibition of works at the commercial gallery which is white cube in bermondsey um which is more because his kind of like art objects um and yeah, it's just this now, and he, these, I mean, it's just like been getting five stars across the board. It's not just me that loves him. I mean, every single review of these shows has been extremely enthusiastic, and I think we're quite lucky to have so much of his work in the city right now. So those are my couple of my art recommendations um, for this month. And um, now um, I think we should, I don't know, a bit, a bit change of tempo. I'm kind of feeling that now we are going to, um, listen to some funkadelic. I'm going to funk it up. And this is <laughs> One Nation Under a Groove. Nice choice. Thank you. So I can get around it. So low you can so get under it. So high you can't get over so it. So can't get over it. This is a chance. This is a chance. To dance our way out of our constriction. Go the beat freaking up and down the hang up alleyway. With the groove I only got, we shall all be moved. Ready or not, yeah, we come getting down. Oh, 
Can't stop us. 
belonging in the unbelonging. When I perform shade, I'm asking you to understand what it feels like to belong in the unbelonging. Truly interested in the color of your humanity. 
May the size of your heart and the depth of your soul be your currency. Welcome aboard my good ship. There's no need for a passport. There are no borders. We are all citizens of the world. Whatever shade you are, bring your light, bring your color, bring your music and your books, your stories, your histories, and climb aboard. Welcome aboard my good ship. Indeed, that's Bishy with her amazing new track, Shade, on her brilliant new album, Let My Country Awake. I was so honoured that she used a little bit of my essay from The Good Immigrant. Um, the Good Immigrant is out now, the fi- uh, fifth year edition. Um, apparently it looks amazing. I haven't seen it in the flesh. Musa, you saw one last night. Oh my goodness, yeah, I signed a couple. It was in the wild. It's a stunning piece of work, um, just the, the visual of it. Gold lettering. Oh, wow. I yeah, know. Yeah, Golden. Yeah. I'm looking forward. There were seven writers, actually, on The Good Immigrant out last night. Oh, I know. I missed it. it. I missed it. Vibes. But yeah, so look out for that. The five-year birthday edition of The Good Immigrant out in shops now. So I'm going to do a little bit of a roundup of what I've been up to this month. It's been so busy. Um, shout out to Laura Grimshaw, who um, featured the Roaring Twenties radio show on the podcast radio hour on bbc sounds so you can find that on bbc sounds and it's a roundup of amazing poetry and poetry podcasts and there's a snippet of roaring 20s radio on the bbc now so that feels very grand yeah i'm very excited about that so yeah i've been traveling around doing lots of festivals and and so lots of my reading is tied into that um, because I, i won't sit on a panel with someone without having read their work first so i did a panel at henley literature festival where I got to meet Naomi Ishiguru and Nima Shah and both of their debut novels are amazing so look out for them Um, Coloco Hill is Nima's book and Naomi Ishiguru um, their book is Common Ground there you go, so look out for those two books they were wonderful going away from books a little bit but staying literary I had my little mind blown I went to the National Theatre to see Rockets and Blue Lights written by Winsome Pinnock Oh my goodness, it was like a two and a half hour show, theatre, and I think I cried all the way through. To give you sort of a rough roundup, what it's about, it's a, it's on the set of a new film about Victorian artist um, Turner and a young actress, Lou, is haunted by unresolved history and by this painting by Turner. Meanwhile, back in 1840, Londoners Lucy and Thomas try to come to terms with the meaning of freedom, and it moves between London past and London present and it was just such a moving empowering emotional work I just absolutely I had a standing ovation I just standing there with my mask on just tears rolling down my face I think it's um yeah just just I'm I'm almost emotional talking about it but yeah so look out for um I'll catch my breath, sorry. Look out for rockets and blue lights. I think that it, it will be travelling around the country. Absolutely astounding theatre and uh, bravo to Winsome Pinnock. <laughs> Look at me, I'm nearly crying. Well, definitely, okay. it's a good review. <laughs> Very good review. Uh, moving on swiftly, Cheltenham was amazing. I was at the Cheltenham Literature Festival. I went to see Anna Bailey and I got to I got to meet Anna Bailey and uh, Caleb Azuma Nelson, Open Water, again, a very beautiful book. And I got to... Uh, 
uh, talked to both of them. Babe, uh, debut novels are brilliant. I've actually done three events with Caleb um, on this run of festivals, and I'm really, uh, yeah, just just such an astounding, promising talent. Um, so hats off to Caleb and, and, and all he continues to do. He's doing such exciting film and TV projects. So keep an eye out for Caleb Azuma Nelson. Great, great guy. Um, then I was up at Durham Festival. That was amazing and emotional. And it was the Gordon Byrne Prize and Hanif won. And it was all really cool and exciting. Um, as a tie-in with the Durham Festival, I'm involved with their Sleep Stories project. So if you go to the Durham Festival website, we've made some kind of lullaby sleep stories. And I, I got to write one of those. So if you're having difficulty sleeping, you can have a little like bedtime story there. Shout out also. Then I was up in Edinburgh. So shout out to Push the Boat Out Festival, a new poetry festival in Edinburgh. Um, it was amazing. I got to do a gig with hip-hop. It was like a mixture of hip-hop and poetry, and it was probably the liveliest show um, I've done all year in the sense, you know, everyone was up on their feet, and, oh, it was just amazing. So I, so good luck with that festival coming back again next year. Um, then I was in Scotland again um, for uh, Wigtown, and a highlight of that was, again, hanging out with Caleb Azuma Nelson. But also, um, I got to see A.K. Blakemore reading from um, The Manning Tree Witches. So that's a very Halloween-y feel book. So you're looking for something a bit Halloween-y, check that out. Um, and then coming up at the end of the month, we have the Good Grief Festival, um, from which is October 30th and 31st. Look out for that. So next up on my book roundup, I made this little piece for you because I wanted to talk about Zora Neale Hurston, a little bit of Black History Month history, and also... So I wanted to sort of talk about Zora's fascination with zombies, so a little bit of tie-in for your Halloween as well. So here's something I made uh, in my in my bedroom for your for listeners on Roaring Twenties Radio. If books are brothers and sisters to each other and connected by dreams and visions, then The Colour Purple is a sibling to Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston. It was always the relationship of books to each other that I love to discover. Put simply, I love how a good book will lead you to another good book. A great author leads you to another great author. And so it was through reading and admiring Alice Walker then I discovered the work of Zora Neale Hurston. Zora Neale Hurston was a black novelist, folklorist and anthropologist. She was born to a family of sharecroppers in 1891 and grew up in the first all-black community, Eatonville, Florida. She has become a feminist symbol, a visionary for women's writing. She is a noted historical figure of the Harlem Renaissance, she sits high alongside luminaries such as Louis Armstrong, Billie Holiday, Duke Ellington, Josephine Baker and Langston Hughes. However, when she died in 1960, her books were all out of print and she was penniless. In 1973, 13 years later, the author Alice Walker and others marked Hurston's final resting place. The headstone was engraved with the words, A Genius of the South. In In Search of Her Mother's Gardens, Alice Walker stated, We are a people. A people do not throw their geniuses away. 
and if they are thrown away, it is our duty as artists and as witnesses for the future to collect them again for the sake of our children and, if necessary, bone by bone. Jackie Kay has an excellent documentary on the BBC. It's A Woman Half in Shadow. You'll find it on BBC Sounds. In that, Jackie Kay says, To think we nearly miss Sora. For decades now, we have her back. She comes out of the shadows. Also in the programme, Jackie Kay celebrates the resurgence of interest and love for Zora's work, naming great contemporary authors like Zadie Smith, Toni Morrison and Maya Angelou as leaders of this new wave of interest. I urge you to have a listen. The archival recording of Zora's actual voice speaking about her fascination with zombies and hoodoo in Haiti alone had me transfixed. I have some notes here on her um, fascination with... uh, uh, sorry, with voodoo and zombies. This is by Professor Charles King at the Georgetown University. In Haiti, talk of zombies seeps all over the country like a ground current of cold air, Hurston recalled. She encountered zombie legends nearly everywhere she went. People would talk of zombies the way one might mention the weather or an upcoming wedding, if perhaps in a quieter tone. At one point during her say... Hurston visited a Haitian hospital. In the yard near the fence, she found a woman who had just been served dinner, huddled in a defensive way. The woman had barely touched her food. Seeing Hurston approach, she pulled a branch from a nearby shrub and began to sweep the ground. She kept her head covered with a cloth, wary and fearful, as if expecting to be hit. A doctor pulled the cloth from her face but she flung her arms up, bending them around her head like a turtle retreating into its shell. Her name, Hurston learned, was Felicia Felix Mentor. Now, the stunning thing about this woman was that her medical records showed that she had died in 1907. Hurston snapped several pictures of Felix Mentor, one of which she later published in Life magazine. It remains the first known photograph of a person who is known to have been a zombie. 29 years earlier, a funeral had taken place for her. She had been mourned, but her family quickly moved on with life. Her husband took a new wife. Her son grew into a man. But then, the autumn before Hurston visited, gendarmes had encountered a woman walking naked along a country road. She had turned up at a local farm and pointed it out as property that was hers. The farm ha- the farmhands shooed her away, but the owner arrived and, flabbergasted, he declared that it was, in fact, his sister. Her former husband was sent for, and he also confirmed that it was indeed his dead wife, Felicia. There is no going back to the way things were before, however. In her absence, everyone, including Felix Mentor herself, had become something, someone else. The brother was now a prosperous farmer with control over the old family property. The husband was a minor official in the post-occupation government with a new family of his own. There was little to be done except to seal her up again, and this time behind the walls of the hospital, and this is where Zora Neale Hurston found her. The key to understanding zombies, Hurston concluded, lay not in finding a secret potion or in debunking another people's mythology, 
It was actually to just believe in them. Felix's mentor wasn't a person who was said to be a zombie. She wasn't a make-believe one, like a character in a Hollywood film. She really was a zombie. If you could twist your brain into seeing that fact, then he had taken a giant step towards seeing Haiti, and most important, its spirituality from the inside. It's just fascinating stuff to um, the life of Zora Neale Hurston. So there's the bits about the zombie. And I'll just conclude with this. So Their Eyes Were Watching God was published in 1937. Somehow Zora packed it all in there. Love and sex, wealth, greed and poverty, fever, dream and nightmare, life and death. The more I read about her, the more I find myself trying to compare Zora's personal life to other women of that era. Perhaps Mae West for her sass and wisdom, or Jean Rhys for her sorrow and solitude. In every article and essay I read about Zora Neale Hurston, we're reminded of her passion and her discipline. That her work, her writing and travel, her fight to pursue her dreams were paramount and came before conventions like marriage and stability. I highly recommend Zora's short stories, 21 Pieces, um, 21 Pieces, sorry, have been collected together in Hitting a Straight Lick with a Crooked Stick, stories from the Harlem Renaissance. This collection is such a dynamic read and a great listen in audio book form. It features the moan of contention and other highlights for me are the ghost story, Spunk, the longing and fateful John Redding goes to sea, the betrayal of love lost and found in the gilded six bits, and my favourite, a striking dark tale of revenge, magic and who do voodoo titled Black Death. Believe me, once you start going down the path of reading Zora, she will haunt you and follow you wherever you go. The day the walls of the cities will crumble away, uncovering our naked souls. We'll all start singing, shouting, screaming. The day the circus horses will stop turning around, running fast through the green valleys. Sing and cry and shout. The day the cars will lay in heaps, their wheels turning in vain, we'll run along the empty highways, shouting, screaming, singing. The day young boys will stop becoming soldiers and soldiers will stop playing war games. We'll sing and cry and shout. The day will come up that we will wake up 
hearing the shout of joy and shouting together with the freaks. will turn upside down, will run together round and round, screaming, shouting, singing. You're listening to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. If you want to tweet along, where it's at Roaring Twenties Radio, and the twenties is two zero s. And if you want to find us on Instagram, where same, same on everything at Roaring Twenties Radio, and the podcasts are everywhere you listen to podcasts. And so it's Black History Month special on Roaring Twenties Radio. I tried to start writing a list of authors that I look up to, authors that I've read this year, authors and writers and poets that, that, that just keep me going. So I'm going to go through my list, shout out any others that you think of, or give an oi oi if you love them and you're reading them too. So I'm going to start at the top. I'm really into James Baldwin. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just, just listen to the... There's a new um, auto, autobiography on... Um, on audiobook which was just amazing Claudia Rankin Lem Sisse Arenison Koji mm, Tony Morrison yeah. Kit DeWall yeah. Nikita yeah. Gill yeah. Zora Neale Hurston <laughs> who we've just been talking about Inua Elams Caleb Fenny Caleb mm. Azuma Nelson Nikesh Shukla Niven Govindan Raymond Antrobus River Solomon Dana Smith who we played earlier Michaela Cole have yeah. you got round to listening yeah. to Mis- uh, reading Misfits no not yet that oh, might be amazing oh that's an excellent read Mallory Blackman Repeat Beat Poet Benjamin Zephaniah Linton Quasi Johnson, Ty Sin, Audrey Lord, Beryl Gilroy, <laughs> Kai Miller, Bell Hooks, Marlon James, Colin Grant, Gabrielle Gabadozzi, Gil Scott Heron, yeah. Maya Yay. Angelou, Alice Walker, Alex Wheatle, Courtier Newland, Bernadine Evaristo, Leona Ross, Monique mm, Roffey, Cat mm. Francois, Zena Edwards. I could go on. Black History Month is reload, all year reload, round. Re- reload, Leonie yeah. Ross, reload, reload. <laughs> <laughs> Wheel up. And the wonderful thing is the list goes on. The list goes on and on and on. Shout out to all those authors and everyone out there pushing for more of this sort of behaviour. Indeed. (laughs) Vibes. I'm here in the studio with Musa. Welcome. Thank you for having me. It's Real lovely pleasure. to have you. It's lovely to have you. So, where do we start with you? My goodness. So, how do you've you've put out three books this year? Yeah, yeah, good times. <laughs> Absolutely extraordinary. Um, so, let's start. The, let's start with the the memoir. Um, the let's start with one of them, the Eton College memoir. How was that to write that and to, to publish that with Unbound? Okay, so first of all, shout out to Unbound. They were incredible. The, the Good Immigrant and people asked why I did this book with them because they were oh, she got me the bigger publisher would have been a bigger book. And I was like, first of all, it did just fine in terms of reviews and the sales are good. But the real thing is this, it was creative choice. I did not trust, quite frankly, a large group of people 
to put this story out in the way that I wanted to tell it. I thought a lot of people would want the kind of sensationalism, you know, name and shame, name and shame, you know, you know the, the Tory politicians who are running this country to the ground who went to Eton. I was like, hang on a minute. They're like, I said, has naming any of these people changed anything? No, everyone knows who they are, everyone knows what they're doing. What you need to do is talk about structures. And this country, this English political discourse is so obsessed with name checking, name dropping. And I'm like, that's just, that doesn't solve anything. We get so caught up in that. We see it with racism. They want to turn it into like a, a pantomime. So what I thought I'd do with this book about Eton was go back in time, read all my school reports, which was really difficult. It's really difficult to be like a 41-year-old yeah, man reliving those years. It was really hard because a lot of that stuff was, you know, a lot of the experiences were good, but a lot of it was quite bleak as well. Um, and the difficulty, I suppose, was, was really just reliving it because there are people that I went to school with who are responsible for much of the current political context. So Rupert Harrison, for example, the year above me at school, Rupert, Sa Rupert Harrison wrote the austerity policy. That eight-year, ten-year austerity policy, he literally wrote it. Mm. Another guy that I know was like, he's head of the, like, the National Audit Office that's basically in charge of like, you know, government savings. But it's like, these people are cutting budgets with no experience of what it's like to be poor. Like, these are people who've never been to... Um, to a bank and got money out and put their hand over the balance because they're too traumatised to see how much how little money they've got in the account. Right? They just have no concept of it. And so the book is basically about how people who are interpersonally very pleasant, very nice, nice people in quotes, how nice people can enact cruel policy. So yeah, that's why I wrote the book. It's interesting, I think, um, it's also um, relating also to what happened with Grenfell. It's people running things. Why are they in these jobs? They're not the right people to be in those jobs. Not at all. It's like, obviously, they do the things that they do. They have to take responsibility for it. But it's like, who gave that guy that job? And it's, yeah, it's about why structures, you know, you look at the pol uh, political structures and they filter out people that have experience. You know, you could be filtered out by your accent or the school you went to. You like So many conversations you have where, you know, private school world, not just Eton, but the private school world generally, you're going to a room and be like, oh, where did you go? Do you know so-and-so, so-and-so? And then if you don't go to those, those schools, you're completely excluded from the conversation, right? And the thing that, that really struck me about the kind of the, the private school system and how some systems just closed off, we all went to uni, we went to uni, um, and then after uni, a bunch of people got in touch. They're like, oh, do you want to come play football with us on a, on a Wednesday night? Oh, well, I saw, got this list of emails from different people. Haven't seen that person for years. We used to play football together. Let's catch up again. And the really weird thing, this is the weirdest thing about the private school system, I saw all the names, all these email addresses I'd never, I'd never seen, before, never heard of these companies. And I Googled them all and they all had like a single, in you know, these single page websites, like, you know, one holding page and they were all hedge funds. All these people from school had obviously like gone to all these hedge funds all, earning huge amounts of money. And I'm pretty sure a lot of these jobs were not publicly advertised. It was like, I've got a mate who's into this, who's got a bit of capital, a bit of startup money. It's like, it's a completely closed world. And to me, I'm like, Okay, that's one thing, but then like that world is a closed world in finance, which is arguably bad enough, but then it's a closed world in politics too. It's unacceptable. And the weird thing about this is, I was talking to a friend, he said, oh yeah, but I know a lot of Etonians and you know, they're, they're very nice people compared to the ones who are in politics. I was like, hang on a minute. How many of them speak publicly about this stuff though? You can be as nice as you like privately, right? Mm -hmm. But where's the outrage? Where's the public outrage? Where are the open letters? Because when an Etonian teacher got sacked for sexism, there was public outcry. There was an open letter from old Etonians going, they shouldn't have been sacked. I was like, hang on a minute. So they're not ashamed of public discourse, right? So why, when it comes to people doing stuff who went to their school, arguably in their name, 
these, these ambassadors of this school, there's no public outcry. And I was like, to be honest, they're cowards. I don't give a damn about... The big problem in England is this reliance on a silent, the decent silent majority. Well, speak up. Effing speak up. Otherwise, you're just as bad as them. And that was my thing. That was my challenge to them. And I said, look, trust me, they're going to be silent on this. And they are silent on it. Sorry to get all ranty, but it gets me really angry. Like, do you know, do you know what I mean? No, no, it's not ranty. That's si- well oh, said. Thank silent, you. Silent majority, silent majority. They're silently yeah. decent. Where, where's, the, where's the public outcry then? Yes. Yeah. 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 And so going on, going with your, your books, the other book that you've done is Striking Out, which yeah. is a children's novel written in collaboration with and based on the life of Ian Wright. So how did that come about? I mean, that's fascinating. Oh, wow. What yeah. a beautiful job that must be. Oh, it's been yeah. incredible. It's been an absolute pleasure. Let me just shout out Ian Wright. Amazing human being. Mm-hmm. An, an amazing human. So I did this podcast called Stadia, which you mentioned earlier, and um, we started it up. And he started reading my stuff, actually, a few years ago uh, on Twitter. Right my political essays, my stuff on race, he really enjoyed it. And so I wrote him a DM after a couple of years of him reading my stuff. And I said, look, like we've got this football podcast and we have a, our thing, we're a very small podcast, but we have a kind of, we've got beer in our bonnet because no one really interviews footballers about the craft of what they do. Well, they mm. do, but not enough, right? Not enough, especially not in the English context, I think. We want to talk about the art of goal scoring specifically, like the art of finishing. So his agent was like, he got super excited about this. He normally turns down most things, but he's excited. So he went and interviewed him at the Emirates, then watched a game with him, Arsenal against Victoria, Europa League, I think it was. And we kind of just became friends, like just chatting, geeking out on football. Um, A couple of years later, he had his own podcast on um, The Ringer FC, which is alongside us. We're on the same sort of speed uh, feed on Spotify. And then his agent was like, at some point, we want to write a book off the back of his Desert Island Discs because people really got into it. We want to write his life story. And I was like, actually, people know Ian's life story. Like, everyone knows the details. What we should do maybe is, why don't we place Ian Wright as he is now, 57-year-old, grandfather, uncle, mentor to younger footballers. Let's put the real Ian Wright in a fictional situation where he mentors a young black boy who reminds him of himself. So we had them meet by chance in the the novel. Um, And then Ian basically mentors him. And the way it came about, really, the way we wrote it was we kind of just talked out the plot. I was like, this has to be a hero's journey, right? Hero's journey, traditional hero's journey, meets mentor, loses mentor, separation, and then reconnection, ordeal, trial, triumph. So we just talked out this plot, and we're like, almost like a cinematic type thing, like Black Boy and Hackney, Ian Season playing on Hackney Marshes, and that was it. And it was, working with Ian was an absolute joy, because he's... um, some, I, I said to, someone said to me, what's it like working? I said, well, in a different life, he could have been a barrister. His brain is unbelievable. His ability to synthesise. You give him like stats before a big match of the day thing. You'll give him Ian the stat, like in the WhatsApp group, and he'll drop it on like national TV 30 seconds later, perfectly in context. Like it's like, a bar- it's like watching a barrister in real time. Like he's an incredible broadcaster. So yeah, it was a joy working with him. I That's always, so exciting. I always thought that about footballers is they don't get a great rap when it comes to um, they don't have a great rep when it comes to kind of people don't see them as intellectuals. But in order to strategize like that in real time, you've got to be smart, right? Well, look, here's the thing: no one calls air traffic controllers stupid, <laughs> and they do the same. Footballers basically are air traffic controllers. That's what they're doing. You're like you are synthesizing. The way I always compare, uh, compare it is a central midfielder like Xavi or like Pirlo or like Pogba. Or a striker like Ian Wright is basically like an, it's like being an air traffic controller while landing your own plane at the same time. You're coordinating all that movement. Like the amount of, how do I say it, the amount of calculations you have to make as an elite footballer in real time are astonishing. 
And I was also really interested, and I was talking to Selena and Matt about this um, when we were waiting for you earlier, having a coffee, and it was like, what was the decision around you writing the book jointly? Mm. Um, was that a conscious thing? Um, how did you come up with the idea about being co-authoring it, basically? It's funny, yeah, because... So Ian had... There was um, a kind of a... There was an option, you know, all this legal stuff. For Ian, sorry, there was, a, there was an option for a book about Ian's life. And the idea was, I think, that someone would just write it without much input from Ian. Mm. And then we thought, actually, because you're such a kind of prominent person, let's, let's let you f lean fully into that. So they gave me some of Ian's old audio, um, his autobiography, like audio book. And doing the podcast, then I listened to him a lot. So I know what his kind of cadences are. I know what his kind of favourite sort of mannerisms are. And so we really just sort of talked it out and made it collaborative. Because we do the podcast together, we just thought, let's keep it as light as that. Let's keep that process and not kind of overthink it. I think it's very important when you write books not to kind of overthink stuff. Um, and yeah, it just worked. It just worked beautifully in the end. It was really kind of organic, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love the way you you kind of marry up your writing with the football. It's, it's something that's like, you, they kind of go side and side. If you had to pick, who would win, writing or football? Football. <laughs> yeah, Very because, quick because football was the first love. Like, football was there before and it'll be there after. I was going to ask, actually, on the Venn diagram of interests, football and poetry in particular don't often overlap, but I know they do for you. How early in your poetry journey did you start writing about football? I got hell for it. When I first started yeah. doing it, okay, I um, started writing, performing poetry... Well, I've been writing poetry since I was 10. Yeah. But like when I came back on the scene, 05, and I put out a book about football and people were like, you like football? Because I didn't talk about it on the scene. They were like, what is this? Like, you got a football book out. Um, football poetry, I suppose I started writing like 2008. And I got a lot of hate from a lot of people. Really? Yeah, yeah they're quiet now. They're quiet now, but they know who they are. <laughs> Online hate, like sustained abuse. You're trying to subjugate the working classes. And I'm like, hang on a minute. Poetry's like working class. What are you talking about? They're like, and because it was like, I think looking back what it was, I was making, I was making knuckle-dragging, narcissistic men feel something and they hated it. Men hated having to emote about football. They were like, oh, go along, like, shags and birds. Like, that kind of, that kind of man was reading poetry about football and it was making, and it, they felt afraid. Right. Because they, they're, men like that are afraid of vulnerability, they're terrified of it. And poetry is ultimate vulnerability. But I was like, screw this, I kept doing it. And, you know, 13 years later, things have come around. Yeah. 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 13 lonely years. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like there's a kind of, um, and I'm not sure what it means. I'm open to waiting to understand what it means. But I feel like, I know Matt does a lot of writing around football and I've done some writing about art. My friend has a football magazine, Oof, which is art and football. Oh, wow. And, uh, and uh, anyway segue but he's but what he's doing is really cool but it's also kind of i feel like the boundaries are maybe kind of dissolving a little bit yeah um, definitely because whereas obviously at one point it was very much it was like a radical act people are ashamed you know it's like something rappers started singing and everyone was like oh my god rappers can't sing it's too emotional it's too whatever it's too and now everyone's doing it mm. everyone's doing it like and they're doing it really well and really what you realize is people were afraid they were afraid it might work not that it wasn't good. They were like, oh, football poetry was terrible. No, they didn't think it was terrible, actually. They were afraid that if it worked, everyone would start doing it and they'd get marginalised. And they were completely right. Did they remind me of these people, these haters, these bigots? They remind me of them. I said actually the other day, I had, I had vague sympathy for white supremacists. White supremacists knew the moment they allowed black people into things, 
the creative would just explode and they'd never have it to themselves again. Mm. And I think it's the same with like this creativity crossover, people being brave in their art. People are afraid of it because they know that if it works, they'll be marginalized. And they're completely right. Because mm. where are those clowns now? <laughs> those yeah. hateful people now, where are they? They're still yabbering on the internet, but they're there. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're marginalized now. Yeah. yeah. So you, uh, you picked a couple of tracks. One of the tracks that you've chosen um, is... Hang on a minute. Ah. What were the tracks? Give me the Stardust. Give me the yeah. Stardust one. Yeah. So music sounds better with you. Yeah. Which what, is like what we've actually got to play though is a different track. Oh. I hate. I hate to throw it. Really? Was it the, the Kiranuka? What are you going to put in? It is the Kiranuka. Can you, you give us a little problem. right with that? Give us a of little course. bit of context about Listen, why you always picked that right track. Always right with Kiranuka. Listen, <laughs> I've got a not so secret plan to become his friend because he's of Ugandan <laughs> heritage as well. So my plan is to be like, oh, we're both Ugandan heritage. I'm like, I fancy that. That's just, you know, I want to be his friend. But um, the reason I've chosen this song in particular is because it's so empowering. Like, if you've been going through an emotionally abusive relationship, friendship, whatever, it reminds you it's not your fault. Um, if you've been experiencing racism, it's not your fault. You ain't the problem. It's like, this isn't you. Like, you know, you're being gaslit all the time by society or by an individual, a group of individuals. You're like, the song is basically like, you're not to blame. And that's why I think it's genius. Wonderful. Great Let's tune. have it. Time heals the pain 
you ain't the problem I live the dream, I hope to be who I believe in I used to hate myself, you got the key, break out the prison Oh, I hope to never see time passing Don't hesitate Time heals the pain, you ain't the problem Sooner or later, Berlin will punch you in the stomach. When it does, please try not to take this personally. Instead, try to treat it as a passport stamp, as a sign of your arrival. You won't get on here if you don't. If you hang around long enough, Berlin will give you a kiss on the forehead. It will invite you to the less harsh parts of itself. You won't know when the blow is coming, or where the blow is coming from, but if it takes over a year to strike, then you should be highly suspicious. The longer you wait, the more likely it is to be cataclysmic. There is a good chance that, like an inefficient yet vengeful tax collector, Berlin is merely getting ready to collect an epic debt. Berlin is not Germany, people will tell you. What they mean, of course, is that Berlin is not like the rest of Germany. But Berlin is deeply German. If each of this country's towns are members of the same family, then Berlin is merely the mischievous sibling that ran away from home. While Munich and Frankfurt each got themselves a mortgage, Berlin hooked up with an older partner and took a couple of bar jobs. Berlin is not a city for grown-ups. They will say that and think it is true, but they are wrong. Berlin is often terrifyingly adult. Innocence doesn't linger here. To survive here, you need to be at least half-wolf. What they mean is, Berlin is as volatile as an angry adolescent. Other cities can't match its emotional extremes. To live in Berlin you must actually have something of the parent about you. You need to tolerate this town as it surges through its range of mood swings. Ah, mood swings. Though Berlin is a place of extreme seasons, this city's divergent turns are not confined to the weather. Its inhabitants will shock you with acts of rudeness and kindness, often in the course of the same day, often from the same person. For that reason, you might find Berlin addictive. If that's so, that's because it's both too much and not nearly enough. You can saturate yourself in this city, but still find yourself deprived. People will often ask what brought you to Berlin, and they will often ask it in just those words, as if you were summoned here. Perhaps, in some sense, you were. Living in Berlin, if not quite a calling, is compelling. It takes a particular breed to come here, and a different sort altogether to stay. Soon enough, this city will tell you which type you are. Wow. Wonderful. We've got Musa in the studio reading from 
in the end, it was all about love, which is out now with Rough Trade Books. Shout out to Rough Trade, yes. Shout out to Rough Trade Books. Amazing, amazing publisher. Yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm so proud to have done um, Pessimism is for Lightweights with them. And just Nina is just a machine. Incredible, it's just amazing. Incredible, yeah. yeah. So tell me a little bit about the journey. Tell me a little bit about writing this book. Because this is, this is, a, this is an, again, a very different book to the other two, to the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that we've talked about earlier. I love just the fact that I've been able to put out such different projects this year it's been a real joy so hard work though no like crikey <laughs> i mean it's got to be done right yeah it's be old school so um this book came about because came about because of failure really so i've been through a difficult time where i was putting out work and it wasn't really connecting or wasn't getting places or it wasn't getting published at all so i even I signed to a record label um uh, sort of in, very cool independent the deal fell through uh, I wrote a sci-fi novel. I put all my energy into almost sort of creative into it and it got rejected by all the publishers. And I was like, oh my goodness, for the first time in my life, I thought I wasn't good enough. I was like, actually, I've gambled all of this education, whatever, all this security, stability. I've gambled it all in a creative dream. I'm not good enough. And I, I thought, what is that about? What, how does that feel? And I thought, instead of starting a new project because I was terrified of writing thing new because I thought get rejected... I thought I'd write about how it felt to be as hardworking as you can, to do the best you can and just not get anywhere. So that book is born from that. And just it's, this, it's the most raw thing I've ever written, may ever write, actually. Um, but yeah, writing, it was so strange. I was, you know, like Charles Dickens, well, not comparing myself to Dickens, let me take a breath. <laughs> Charles Dickens would write um, chapters, then hand them out and then go away and write the next. This is the first book I've ever written where I kind of like, not crowdsourced it, but I would read out bits of it like over the course of two years of writing it, little fragments here and there, people would ask, what's happening to it? Ah, oh, like, it's a book I'm working on. So I'd read it at different poetry nights. And then it was, it was such a strange thing because even when it was not getting, we, we put it out, my agent basically like tried to get it published. Abby Fellows, an amazing agent. Yeah, she's brilliant. She loved it. And the, the funny thing was this, people wouldn't publish it. It took a year for it to get a publisher. Everyone was like, is it fiction? Is it nonfiction? It's got magic realism in it. Is it poetry? Is it not? Is it, it's too short, it's too this, it's too that. And Abby was like, no, this book is what it needs to be. And then Rough Trade basically, it's almost like missed this. the journey of this book is quite, something quite magical about it. Like it almost wasn't meant to exist. Mm. But now that it does exist, it's like just finding its way into all these amazing places. So yeah. That's wonderful. I love that story. And it, I think it's a brilliant book. And congratulations on, on all the accolades and all the praise that it's richly, deservedly getting. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, and it's a beautiful cover. Uh, yeah, I'm, 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 yeah. Shout out to Craig Oldham. Incredible. Yeah. Every, every Craig part Oldham is amazing, genius. right? The beauty of this book is everything in it feels like art, like in terms of not, not the, my writing, but the, the way they've like crafted it. They were like, Nina was like, this book deserves a certain thing. She's like, well, Craig and I have decided, because Nina's got a big creative input. She was like, each poem, because each part starts with a poem, let's have the poems, black background, white text. Genius touch. Like, who else would have thought of that? Like, who else? Even the font. The font is by, um, I can't remember the, the um, artist now, but an anti-fascist artist. So even that is resistance. And every cover's different, isn't it? Because yeah. of the way it's been printed. So every single cover's kind of got a different kind of rainbowy effect. Yes. I love that. It's amazing. It's ingenious. There's another thing they did. They said like, oh, well, we want to do some special, um, we want to thank independent publishers. They've been so, um, so independent bookshops have been so supportive. And they said, and Nina was like, what kind of cover do you want? And I was like, well, I love the Berlin Sunset. It's, one of my, it's the iconic thing about Berlin. They made limited edition covers, screen printed, all unique of the Berlin Sunset. 
mind blowing. Oh, it's amazing publisher. Yeah, yeah, it's really wonderful. Also, shout out to Kate McRae. It'll embarrass her, but an incredible <laughs> publicist for this book. Oh. She's, she's really humble. That's going to embarrass her. Yeah, the publicist. <laughs> yeah. Too late, Kate. Shout <laughs> out to Kate. Too shout late, out to Kate. Yeah, we got you. Okay. <laughs> So, um, would it be really cheeky to ask if we could get another little, another little taste from the book? Do you? Oh, do you oh feel my goodness! Like okay, since you want a taste, this is a bit about cake. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so this is called "How to Eat Cake in Berlin." Lovely, right? thank you. Because we all know that we all need a cake eating guide. By the way, thank you so much for having me. This has been an absolute joy. Oh, it's absolute been pleasure. So Thanks for coming on. Yeah. It's my pleasure. How to eat cake in Berlin? The best time to eat cake in Berlin is a weekday afternoon, say two p.m. on Thursday. You can't do it much earlier because you won't have earned it. You have to get the timing just right. If you get to the cafe for 3pm, then when you finish, you will emerge into a swarm of angry and homeward bound commuters. The best place to eat cake in Berlin? Well, that varies. It depends what you're looking for. If you want to go somewhere where you can pass out after the arrival of the sugar rush, then there's that quiet spot in your neighbourhood, the one where the atmosphere is almost supernaturally gentle, where... Even when it was full and busy one evening, you were still able to write a short story without being distracted. That's the same cafe which has a dog, who seems to spend 95% of its time in a state of hibernation, slumped on a shelf just behind the bar, and who only wakes when another dog enters his realm. Then, he's almost on his hind legs with fury, and won't stop roaring until the door closes behind the startled and rapidly retreating invader. That's also the cafe where the toddler babbles at you in Spanish and tries to impress you by holding up a series of nearby objects, waiting until you nod in approval before presenting a new one, a salt shaker, a menu, a sugar bowl. You are always impressed. This place is as tranquil as your first girlfriend's bedroom at university, and when you fall asleep here, no one nudges you awake. If you want to eat cake in Berlin in a place where you can dream, then you wander down the street to a cafe which also serves salty stew and cups of hot chocolate so thick you can almost stand up a spoon in them. This cafe is where you will spend many afternoon hours gazing out of the window and planning new adventures. It is the place where you are sitting, where you hear from a dear friend for the last time, when he sent you a text message from his deathbed to remind you that, on that particular day, you are doing exactly what you're meant to be doing with your life, not worrying about making money or whatever else is achieving in their careers, just being. If you want to remember your friend, you go and eat there. If you want to eat cake in a place that reminds you that love is possible, go to that cafe across town where they drown each slice of apple pie in whipped cream, that one whose back room is filled with 70-style sofas and which is graced with a small cabaret stage. In this cafe, over cake, love twice came close. Or, to feel similar, catch a tram 50 minutes from your flat where you spent a Sunday afternoon sharing sucker torta on a first date with someone who understood you. If you want cake for its own sake, which of course is reason enough, then go three stops down the line for a serving of marzipan moan, its thick speckled layers of sponge dissolving the moment they touch your tongue. If you want cake which rewards your loyalty, then go to the cupcake store nearby, where every week you get a free helping because you are in there so often, and where you were just beginning to build up the courage to ask out the woman who you'd seen working there for years, and then she left her job. To eat cake in Berlin properly, never reveal where you eat. If you must, then guard your preferred locations with the jealousy of an insecure lover. If you are feeling a little more generous, then leave hints as to where you've been eating, perhaps the odd photo on social media, so that the keenest detectives among your friends can figure it out. 
As ridiculous as it seems, not only to you, but eventually your dentist, cake has become your sanctuary. Cake punctuates your artistic career. Each mouthful is a milestone. While this town offers many escapes, many vices, yours is icing. Thank you very much, Musa. Thank you. So we've come to the end of Roaring Twenties Radio. This is our October edition. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Selena Godden. I've been here with... Amarose Abrams. And Matt Abbott. And Miss Okwonga. And we'd love having you along with us for this show, our Black History Month special, where we've um, done some delving and done some exploring of current themes as well. I've really enjoyed making this show and I've really enjoyed being back in the studio with Matt, who hasn't been in the studio with us since June. Yeah, it's good to see you again, Matt. Back on the 20th of November. Can't yeah. wait. Okay. Good vibes. See you all then, and thank you very much for tuning in. Keep roaring. We're going to leave you with Benjamin Clementine. It's a wonderful life, it's a wonderful life Traversing tears from the heavens My heart is a melodrum, a melodrum in fact Satellite by echoes of pain 24-7, 24-7 I dream I smile, I walk, I cry, I dream, I smile, I walk, I cry. You might not say that it's a wonderful world, and it's a wonderful life, and it's a wonderful day. Just as yesterday But I won't complain No, I won't complain Uh, Oh, my good days are far gone They'll surely come back one more So I won't complain No, no My mind is a mirror A reflection only known to me And for those who hate me The more you hate me The more you help me And those who love me The more you love me The more you hurt me And when I go to bed in the night I see some children in the light Fighting on old shadows behind my mother's back And although I don't understand my dreams I know somewhere there's hope There's hope, there's hope somewhere There's hope so I dream, I smile I walk, I cry I dream 
my smile I walk, I cry You might not say that it's a wonderful world And it's a wonderful life And it's a wonderful day Just as yesterday Come back one more, so I won't, I won't complain. 